Uh, let's take a moment. I want to begin by showing you a picture this morning. Uh, in fact, uh, I don't know if you can see that. We might turn down the lights just a little bit. Uh, but just for fun, I wanted, I wanted to throw this up there. My wife didn't know I was going to do this. But uh, this is Heidi and I late Friday afternoon. And somebody, we have some hiking buddies in here. We've been hiking with some of you. And we've had a great time, by the way. And, and some, someone said, have you ever hiked Iron Mountain? So on the way to Brad Tea Garden's house, Brad and Krista, my wife and I, we saw where Iron Mountain was. And so Friday afternoon we went out there. And that's, I think, north of the city. And uh, we, we did this hike. Anybody ever hiked to the top of Iron Mountain? Raise your hand real high. I, okay. So I'm not anything special at all, am I? Okay. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. But anyhow, we hiked this thing. I mean, you've got to be half mountain goat to get the top of this mountain. I mean, I don't know. For those that's hiked it, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good hike. It's maybe four miles, you know, two miles up there, two miles back or something like that. It's a pretty good hike. But anyhow, uh, Heidi and I, we get to the top of this thing, and uh, we had somebody take a, a picture of us. And, and you can kind of see the mountains in the background. I, I like that picture. I got my Superman T-shirt on. You see that? Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we are really putting some effort out trying to get to know the landscape, you know, trying to get to know the context of where we're, we're pastoring. Uh, you know, we're learning not only about, you know, San Diego as a city, but we're learning about the surrounding areas. And uh, just as we are learning about you and we're getting to know each one of you on an individual one-on-one basis, and we're, we're having a blast. But the fact is, for us to make that happen, I mean, for us to get the connection, to make the connection... We have to put some effort out. And, and so this Friday afternoon, it was fun, but it, it took some effort. We're, we're trying to get to know the area in which we are, we are called to and we're pastoring. And I was thinking about that and how it is exactly the same way in the landscape of the spiritual reality of our lives. That it takes some effort to get connected with God. Amen? I mean, it takes some intentionality that we, we're coming to church and we're arriving here on Sunday mornings and we're taking the time to worship and to be connected with our Father in heaven. And, and you know, last Sunday we, we, we spoke about in connecting with God, you know, what happens once we're connected, what happens when bad things happen? And, and we, we, spoke about, uh, we spoke about, of course, Job and then, of course, the father of the prodigal son and Paul and Jesus and and Jesus went to the cross, and according to the world, I mean, what they were seeing, everything had gone wrong. And so we kind of investigated this idea, or we tried to drill down on the concept, how do we respond? I mean, if we're connected to God, how do we respond when bad things happen? Well, the same idea, but a little bit you know, on the other end of the spectrum, I want to talk about being connected with God for, or getting connected with God for the wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons. You say, well, pastor, uh, you know, how can there ever be a wrong reason as far as getting connected with God? Well, sometimes it's our motive that we need to evaluate. And, and there are a few wrong reasons. Like, number one, you know, we get connected because, you know, we want what we want. <laughs> I remember my youth pastor, Wes, used to talk about, you know, the vending machine God. And we have this idea that God is this vending machine. We put in the quarter. We put in our prayer. And out pops what it is that we want. And so we go to God with a list of, you know, ideas or a list of things that we want. And we say, God, I want this and I want this and I want this. And so we put our order in and we're saying, okay, now, God, answer my prayer. And, and, and you say, well, why? You do? Well, because I want what I want what I want. I mean, I want it. 
And so that's one mistake I think we, we can make as we get connected for, you know, the reason of just getting something that we want. How about this idea? We get connected, here's another wrong reason, just because it's convenient or it's out of convenience. That, that means that we fall into that trap where we're, we're chasing after God and we're seeking God when things are going right, when our bills are getting paid and, you know, our relationships are fantastic and life is hunky-dory. And so we're interested in God when everything is good. But then when things go sideways on us and maybe a relationship falls apart or we're not able to pay our bills and life is more difficult and then all of a sudden we don't have time for God. All of a sudden, you know, maybe God is this kind of this, this inconvenience. And so I think we can make the error of, of seeking God when it's just convenient and, and according to our own terms. Or how about this? Uh, here's another way of saying that, but it's another point, And that is one wrong way to seek God or get connected with God is for peace, but no surrender. You know, we want peace in our life. We want to feel, you know, the good that we feel when we are, you know, around God and we're worshiping God. But there's no self-surrender. There's no surrendering, you know, our, our lifestyle. There's no surrendering the things in our life that get between us and the Father. In other words, there's no surrendering of sin in our life. And I think sometimes we chase after God because we like the idea of having peace in life. But there's no really personal surrender. There's no really giving up what it is that God has called us to give up. And so, you know, we find ourselves kind of in error there. Another, another wrong way to do it, a, a wrong reason, uh, is, is just for belonging. I mean, I understand people are hurting. I understand that life is tough. And, and I understand what it means to be lonely. I understand what it means to be betrayed. I, I, I understand the anguish of taking care of elderly parents. And watching the demise of my parents, and we love our parents dearly. And watching the demise of our mom and dad, and even that time when it comes to where, you know, they make the transition from this life into the next. And so I understand about pain and, and the desire to be around people that help us feel better. I mean, it's part of, it's part of humanity, of who we are. We want to be a part of a place that, that we belong. It's like the old uh, sitcom Cheers. Remember that that song with cheers where everybody knows your name. And so there's this there is this social need that we have that's built into who we are as human beings is that we want to belong. We want a place to belong. But sometimes I guess what I'm trying to get at is sometimes maybe it's the wrong motive. And so when we ask ourselves, OK, I want to belong here, I want to become a part of this thing. Is it the right motivation? Because, you see, the only thing that that makes it make sense. I mean, the only relationship that really brings balance in life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have come here hoping not to hear anything about Jesus Christ, then I'm sorry you've come to the wrong place. Because balance comes, I mean, purpose in life, it comes by knowing who Jesus Christ. I love Jeff's response when I said, identify who you are. And he said, in all that he said, he finally said, it's about leading people, pointing people to Jesus Christ. I love that, Jeff. Because it is. And balance comes when we, we point people to Jesus Christ and they have relationship with Jesus Christ. And outside of that, there, there's really no, no balance in life. So what am I getting out of? I'm going back to the fact what about the motivation behind it as far as getting connected with God? Here's another wrong reason. I mean, bear with me. 
Another wrong reason is, is we, we come to church or, you know, try to connect with God or come to church because of power. Because we're seeking power. You see, unfortunately, churches are sometimes where the dysfunctionally strong will discover they can pray on the weak. Did you hear what I just said? Churches are sometimes where the dysfunctionally strong will discover that they can pray on the weak. And, and sometimes we play to this, especially smaller churches, not larger churches like ours, but smaller churches that are desperate for members and they're desperate to get help and assistance. And so they're anxious to bring people in. And so there are people that come to places like that and, and they seek position because, you know, there is no other place in their life that can have the power, the kind of power they can have in church. And so I guess the concern is, I'm saying this, we need to, we need to ask ourselves the question, why are we seeking that place? Why are we seeking that position in church? Because sometimes... We get into those positions or maybe seek those positions for all the wrong reasons and it has to do with power and control and has nothing to do with the relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many people I've spoke with through the years that have said to me because of their experience, their church experience, because of their encounter with church people, they have said to me, I will never step foot back in a church ever again the rest of my life. Because they have had such a horrible experience from somebody that's in the church. And so they go to a church and and, and there's these power mongers, if you will, that are more about dominance and control. And and, and so they they wreak havoc among people. And and they tear churches apart and they they make it this horrible experience because, you know, it's it's about this this power control thing. I'll never forget my, my first assignment. I pastored in Greenville, Texas. Uh, my, my first time as the lead pastor, and, and we were kids. I was 26 years of age, and my wife was 21. And, uh, I mean, we were just green behind the ears. And, uh, you know, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, but, but uh, we took this assignment in Greenville, Texas. And uh, they, they successfully growed the church to 10 people, or back down to 10 people. <laughs> Uh, that's right. The first Sunday that we arrived, we had 10 people in the sanctuary there. We were there for an interview, and so I preached to 10 people. And uh, this was such a strong church that after I got done preaching, uh, we had a board meeting, and the same 10 people just stayed right there in the pews. <laughs> and so we did an interview process, and, and I felt you know, that God was calling us there. And my wife was feeling the same thing, and so we accepted the call, and I came back. We came back. We moved from the town that we were in in Texas to to Greenville, Texas, and we became the pastors there of First Church of the Nazarene. Had no idea what I was getting myself into. About a couple weeks later, I had my very first board meeting. You need to know, I'd never attended, I'd never observed a board meeting, so the first board meeting that I ever experienced was one that I was conducting. I got there a little bit early. The board meeting was going to be on Sunday at 5 p.m. And church was at 6 o'clock. And so we were just going to have kind of a quick short board meeting. And I had come there early and I had printed out just a three-point, one, two, three, a three-point agenda that are laid around the tables uh, in the place where people would sit, where the ten people would sit. And I put the papers down, the agenda, and I went to the sanctuary. And about that time, before everybody else arrived, this one guy arrives early, and he's kind of the focus of my conversation. And, and he is with Jesus now, so I will say his first name. His name was Jim. But I never forget that first encounter with Jim. And, 
I walked around the corner there into the back out of the sanctuary. And Jim was kind of a stocky guy, a little bit taller than I was. And he had fingers like tree trunks, okay? And I walked around, and as I walked in there, he had a paper in his hand, which was the three-point agenda, just like three sentences. That's it. And he said, what is this? And I said, well, that, 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 that's my agenda. I'm 26 years, okay, of age. I said, that's my agenda. He says, why'd you bring an agenda? And he proceeded to tell me that he was the chairman of the board, and he took his tree-tongue finger, and he jammed it in my chest and poked my chest and said, I am the chairman of this church. Don't ever bring anything to the board meeting unless it goes through me first. Yes, sir. (laughs) He proceeded to explain to me how many boards we had tongue and groove uh, roof, ceiling, and that's boards that are kind of stuck together. And he proceeded to tell me how many boards were in the ceiling because he put them up there. He shared with me how much tithe that he had paid in the 40-some years that he attended that church. He had been on the church board for 29 years again, and they grew it all the way down to 10 people. In its heyday, and its peak, they ran about 142. The sanctuary seat about 300, but in their very best days, they were running about 142. I, I began to get a little bit bigger picture, or a little better picture, when uh, at the board meeting, I conducted that very first board meeting, and all nine of the people, aside from Jim... And he sat at that end at the head of the table. I sat at this end of the head of the table. And all nine people sat there tight-lipped, and they literally did not say one word for that hour. Only Jim spoke. And when a question or topic came up, all heads would turn towards Jim. About three months into it, we were having a board meeting. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I had no idea what I'd gotten into. And, and I said something that was kind of contrary. I wasn't... Uh, being ugly in any way, but kind of contrary to his thinking. And all of a sudden, he jumps up, and we were having our board meeting in the fellowship hall that had a tile floor, and, and we were using folding metal chairs, and he jumped up, and he jumped up so hard that the metal chair flipped over backwards a couple times on the floor and banged around. And, and I remember watching the nine people just sitting there stiff. They still had not said a word. i never forget the first election that we had at the church. Six months into it now, we had grown to about 48. I had been going out, knocking on doors, literally, at 2 o'clock, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, five days a week, I'd go out and I'd knock on doors, invite people to come to church, and some of the people were coming to church. I couldn't believe it. I was so excited about Jesus, and, and so I was knocking on doors, inviting them to come to church, and, 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 and some of them were visiting, and And then after a week or two, they wouldn't return. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I got a little bit better picture when I was in the grocery store shopping and and, uh, this lady and her children that had come to church, her and her husband, they'd come to church and they'd only been there about two Sundays and we'd never seen them again. Four or five weeks had passed. I see her in the grocery store and and she kind of says, hi, pastor, hi, pastor, kind of cordial. And we passed back. I tried to be friendly, but she wasn't open and and passed by, went down the aisle, and then pretty soon I hear her cart. And she comes up and she says, Pastor, can I, can I tell you something? I think I need to tell you something. I said, yeah, you can, you can tell me anything. And she said, well, you know, you came by the house and after we visited and we, we, uh, uh, you, you thanked us for coming to church and we really liked that. We loved that you came to visit us. But then after you visited, this man, I think his name was Jim came by the house and told us that we were not their type of people. 
And so come to find out as I was knocking on doors and working my head off, trying to reach out to people and invite people to start a journey with Jesus, Jim was going behind me and asking people to not come back to the church. Because, see, he could control the ten people. His power. I never forget the first election. Election, I had decided to put together a nominating committee. I'd spoke with my DS, and he gave me some tips. He didn't know what in the world I was in. But he gave me some tips, and I had a nominating committee, and we decided that Jim, who had been on the board for 29 years, shouldn't be on the board anymore. And so we had a ballot that we'd put together, and his name was not on the ballot. And so that, that Sunday, and by the way, it was the first Sunday that his wife had attended church. His wife was a member of the church but had not attended until the day of elections. And so she came that Sunday, sat in the back, right back there. And so uh, I handed out the ballot and they asked some questions. There was a motion, a first and a second. They accepted the ballot. And I'd forgotten some pencils. And so I needed to go get some pencils. And, and uh, I, I was a little bit nervous anyhow because I knew that Jim was going to react. He'd already made some statements and proclamations standing up publicly. But as I, I stepped down off the stage to get some pencils, he jetted across the sanctuary between the pews. And he began to speak to me in a regular loud voice in the sanctuary while people are looking at their ballots. In fact, as I got to the back of the sanctuary, the louder he became. And in fact, when I went out the double doors, he now was yelling. And now I am just, again, I'm 26 years old, and I'm thinking, what in the world is happening? I, and, and, and folks, I was going to turn left to go to my office. That's the direction of my office after I went through the double doors. But something in me told me to turn right. And I turned right. And as I turned right, there were the double doors that went outside. I had no idea why I was doing this. This is what... I was pressed upon me to do was to turn right. I turn right. I go through the double doors. And when I turn around, he's still yelling at the back of my head. And to this day, I don't know what he was saying. All I know is that when I turned around, there was spittle on the sides of his lips. His hair was sticking straight up in the air. I've never encountered anything like this ever before. I've never encountered it ever again. But I turned around and immediately the Lord put in my mouth, in the name of Jesus Christ, get behind me, Satan, and Immediately, his mouth was clapped shut, and he couldn't say another word. I went back into the church. I go into my office. I sit down at my desk. I put my face in my hands. I'm on the verge of crying because I'm thinking, okay, I'm probably out of a job. And so about that time, after I'm just sitting there for just a moment, I get up, and as I get up, there is, there is Jim, but it's a whole different picture. Jim had gotten his little wife, and, and, and she's probably about my height, but anyhow, he'd gotten his wife, and now they were standing at the threshold of the door there, and I, I, I walked over to, to address them, and, and at this time, Jim was standing behind his wife, and, and I don't want to embellish it all, but it was like he was hiding behind his wife. And he's spitting things at me. I don't mean spit, but I mean words. He's saying things at me. I do not know. I do not remember. But he's hiding behind his wife, this big man. And I did the only thing that I knew what to do. Again, in the name of Jesus Christ, get behind me, Satan. And at that moment, she began to make this guttural sound like this. And her jowls began to shake. And then she hauled off and she smacked me in the face. I'm 26 years old. Never pastored before in my life. I'm getting beat up by a little old lady. <laughs> she proceeded to hit me again and again and again. 
And my hands were pinned to the sides of my legs. This is hindsight, you understand. You know, this is days after I'm remembering this detail that I could not raise my arms. And the wife of a retired Nazarene evangelist, uh, he had passed away. So the wife, she kind of leaned a little Pentecostal. And so she came out and immediately she spied what was going on. And she immediately, Irene Wyatt, she came over and grabbed this woman and pinned her arms and took her into a room. And another saintly woman, remember these are the people that did not speak in the board meeting. They took her into a room and tried to pray her through or that demon out of her, whatever was happening. And then they took her to the car. Some men got Jim, took him to the car. I just went to my desk, and I dropped in the chair, and I just began to cry. I believed with all my heart, Paul, that my, my ministry was over. I mean, how can that happen? And any good could come out of that. And so I, I was sitting there for a few moments, and then, Irene, she came back. She was the board secretary. And she said, Pastor, would you come out here? And so they, she took me by the arm and she led me out into the foyer. I'll never forget it. The 48 people that were coming to church, now they were down to only 27. <laughs> and those 27 people stood in a circle and they now were crying. And they said, Pastor, we've come to realize that Satan has been in charge and has been ruling this church for years and we're going to claim our church back for Jesus Christ. They said, if you need to leave and start another church, whatever you need to do, we're going to, we're going to follow you. And so I said, no, no. I, was, I mean, it's too much emotion to make these kinds of decisions. Well, what happens is later on in the afternoon, Irene Wyatt, the Nazarene evangelist wife, she calls me and says, Pastor, call a board meeting for Monday night. Just trust me. I said, okay, let's do that. And so on Monday night, they set up the tables and the chairs. And when I went into the fellowship hall for the meeting... There, there the board was sitting around the tables and there were two empty chairs. And those two empty chairs were for Jim and his wife. Now, see, normally people, people would normally be so embarrassed of their behavior they wouldn't even come back again. But they willingly came back and they stayed in the church till they died, by the way. But the two husband and wife were brought in and they were sat in these two empty chairs. And then at this point, something happened that was absolutely supernatural. Each board member, the board that would not speak, each board member went around the table and took their turn. Every board member and said, this church belongs to Jesus now. This is our pastor and we're going to follow him. We're not going to follow you and you're going to keep your mouth shut. And they went around and each person on the board claimed that they're going to follow Jesus and they're going to follow this pastor. And then Irene had done the research about a restraining order and gave some details about that. And they are not to, you know, raise a hand or speak against the pastor, so forth and so on. But you see, I, I think what I, I'm trying to say is that when you seek position in the church, be careful of the motive. Be careful of the motive because sometimes we are doing and we're seeking as members of a body of Christ for the wrong reasons. And we want to make sure that it's the right reason. Why? So that God, Christ, might be glorified. Amen. And that the reason is for Jesus Christ and, and nothing else. And so we ask the question, what are the wrong reasons for, you know, trying to get connected? And 
I, I think power can, can be one of those wrong reasons. And, and the key, again, is back to self-surrender. It's the, the fact is that maybe we're seeking without surrendering. Because surrendering is the key. You see, surrendering is not just the jump-off place. It is the long-term place that we are surrendered to Jesus Christ. And we need to assure ourselves and the Holy Spirit that we are surrendered to Jesus Christ. Amen. And it's that surrendering, there's real victory that comes through. It's that surrendering that the work of the Holy Spirit happens in our life. And when there's no surrender, there is no victory. Can you hear that today? When there's no surrender, there's no victory. I, I love the ministry called the Loving Hands Ministry in uh, Bradenton, Florida. Loving Hands Ministry is a spectacular ministry that ministers to, to young people. Uh, college age, post-college age, and, and, and not, not the, those that attend school, but they are, they are the young uh, men, and it's specifically boys. They are the young men that get themselves in a place in life that the world would say it's impossible to get out of that place in life. I mean, these are young men that, that are facing prison or are in prison. Young men that are addicted to crack and coke. These are young men that they are, you know, you could say the dregs of society. The pastor, Pastor Wilson, was a man that 30 years before felt called to start Loving Hands Ministry. And, and what the Loving Hands Ministry does is, is it takes in these boys. And so what Pastor Wilson and his wife did is they, they bought this estate. And in this estate, they built a building for uh, living quarters. And so what happens is the court releases these young men to Pastor Wilson. And, and, and then Pastor Wilson has certain requirements and they have to read the Bible and they have to do devotions and they have two verses they have to memorize every single day. And there's discipleship and there's follow through and there's church attendance. And, and then as the older ones get more experience, after two or three years, they go to churches and they share their stories and give their testimonies. But folks, the beginning of it, the breakthrough of it is not in the program. It's not in Pastor Wilson. It's not in the events that they experience and go to. The breakthrough is that they have to agree to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And when they surrender their lives. And they're really surrendered. What is considered to be an impossible scenario or situation. Becomes possible in Jesus Christ. It becomes possible in Jesus Christ. Now it's possible that you're looking at an impossible scenario. I've had more than one parent come and share with me at Mission Church about a child and it's an impossible scenario. Is it? Is it? You see, the impossible becomes possible when we are totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do we get connected with God? I mean, that's the driver in this series that we've been going through. And, and the driver is getting connected. And, and one key, how do we get connected, is that, that we realize that God really is God. That, that's how we get connected, that God really is God. You say, well, what do you mean? Let, let me share with you these words that were written by one man in regards to his belief in God and I'm going to read it specifically because I do not want to get it wrong. Listen to this. Everybody, take a moment. Listen to this. So this, this guy, again, a skeptic. He says, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. 
Like people cutting people's heads off. But yet I have this idea of just and unjust. The concept that there is justice. There is such a thing of justice and and those things that are unjust. A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, something happened, something supernatural began to work in my mind. And now I believe, hallelujah, that God does exist. Near the end of his life, Jean-Paul Sartre told Pierre Victor, he says, I do not feel that I am the product of chance, a speck of dust in the universe, but someone who has, has been expected, prepared for, prefigured, someone that, That is a creator. There must be a God. Amen. And so we connect when we really believe that God is really God. The second reason that we connect is because we we begin to realize that God cares for us. That God cares for us. And that would be the point I would want to preach. That God cares for you. I mean, and and it might be hard to say, okay, I embrace that. Especially if you feel that God is distant and You feel that God is silent. It might be hard for you to say, yeah, I believe that God cares for me if you've been through sexual abuse. You've been treated wrong. You might say it's hard to believe that God really cares for me because I've really experienced broken trust after broken trust after Broken trust. I mean, I understand that. I mean, we're we're part of the human race and that that's that is a, a part of it. I understand that. I think one of the most touching verses in Scripture that perfectly captures the truth that God cares for us or captures the truth of God's heart toward us is found in Zephaniah 3.17. And listen to the words here of how God is defined, and I love it because something leaps to life in my spirit when I read these words. Here's what we read. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to deliver. Listen, he's mighty to deliver. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He rejoices over you with singing. So I have this, this, this image of God that is delighted, an image of a God that loves us, and an image that is so caring for us that he's almost kind of bouncing around, singing about his delight for those that he's created. That's you. Amen. That God is delighted in you, the created one. He delights in you, and he, he cares for you, and he loves for you, and he, he, he will not forsake you. I love the story of a little boy that had uh, had been invited to his his little buddy's uh, birthday party. And you remember when you're a kid and you have a party to go to? I mean, sometimes it's looming. It's such a big deal when you're eight, seven, eight years old that you get to go to a birthday party. And you're excited because your friends are going to be there. And so this little boy was, you know, really excited about going to this birthday party. It was on Saturday. But. Unfortunately, what had happened is a blizzard had blown in, not just a snowstorm, but a blizzard. And the wind was blowing and the snow was being whipped around. It's hard to see your hand in front of your face. And so the father said to the little boy, I'm sorry, son, you're not going to be able to go to the party. Well, dad, I've been texting and all the other guys are going to be there. I have to go. I want to go. And so the father, he said, okay, son, I... Okay, you can go. He wanted, he wanted the boy to be able to go and says, okay, you can go. And so the boy got bundled up. Saturday came. The blizzard's blowing. And so he got bundled up in his coat and his scarf and his hat. And he set out in the blizzard to walk the two or three blocks to his buddy's house. Makes it to the yard and goes up the walk. And as, as he's approaching the step, the mother's waiting on the inside, the mother of the little boy. And he, she opens the door and helps the little boy in out of the blizzard, the storm. 
And the little boy's taking his coat off, and he looks back, and just then he sees the shadow of a figure that's retreating back to the storm, recognizing the outline that it was his father who had followed him every step of the way in the storm. That's exactly what our Father in heaven is like. When the wind is blowing and things are being whipped around and and it seems absolutely impossible, moms and dads, impossible, there's a God that is walking with us every step of the way and a God that is caring for us, a God that does not leave us nor forsake us. A God that wants to carry us through. I don't know, teenagers, what you're facing right now. There's no way this old guy can relate. But I know this. Jesus loves you. He's with you. Whether you feel it or not, he's with you every step of the way. He's going to carry you through. He will help what we think is impossible become possible. Amen.